Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and I'm always so thankful for you listening. And I'm very thankful and very impressed that people that listen to this show really want to be the best version of themselves. They really want to change the world in a positive manner. And so I really commend you on that. And I'm glad that you are learning some new things. And we are going to talk today about whether or not you are a reactor or a responder. And this is super important when it comes to just your overall life and and how well you enjoy your life and how well other people enjoy you. So before we get into this, I want to remind you to go to CynthiaHyatt.com, the website, and in my bio, there's a link that you can, you can click on and you can get your own book. It's free that we've put together, and it's called How to Be Your Own Change Agent. So that really goes well with this show today. And I really want to just encourage you to check out all the social media because there is some really helpful and inspiring things there. And I really appreciate all of the activity that, you, you know, that you're showing up. I, it really helps me to know what is helping you and what really works for you. So let's talk about this reactors or responders. Now, you've probably heard this before, but I want you to think about this. The number one thing is stress. This is what initiates when we have referred in the past to the fight, flight, or freeze response. Stress causes us to be in the right side of our brain, which is where the amygdala lies, and the amygdala is all about survival. So if we're not careful and we stay in that part of our brain, our reactions are going to be really big, maybe violent, maybe embarrassing, And when we come out of that kind of, you know, adrenaline fugue, we might need to apologize. So I want you to recognize that stress impacts you physically. It increases the intensity, uh, you know, of high-pressure moments. It leads to stress levels that are really difficult to manage. And the stress has massive impact on you and how you manage the next, you know, minutes or hours of your day. So stress impacts you also mentally. It brings with it more and more negative thoughts. 
Because you have to understand that survival is causing us to look for all the bad things that are happening. Because those are the things that feel dangerous. So fears and doubts and insecurities will flood our mind when we get in a high-stress situation. And what happens is we end up unconsciously thinking that I just need to come out of this alive. So it also impacts our ability to make healthy decisions because we are doing them in a trauma state. We are doing what's immediate. And so when I remind people about the way that God has made our body, when think about if you're cooking and you accidentally touch a hot stove. Well, your hand immediately pulls itself back. You don't even have to think about it. It does it for you. That's that part of the brain. That's the right side of the brain. It will help to make sure you survive the moment. And the right side of our brain really doesn't know the difference between a hurt feeling and being physically harmed. If there's pain involved, if there's any fear or worry or upset, the right side of your brain sees this as dangerous. And it will change all the ways that you would normally make decisions. So this is where we have to understand that if we're not willing to take a a breath, to pause, then we're going to come out of that moment probably with some regrets. So I don't know about you, but this has happened to me before where, you know, whatever it was triggered something and it became this, you know, like... I don't know, it was like a, a, a roller coaster. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm racing through all, everything in my mind about how bad everything is and what people have done to me and what is this person going to do to me. And all of a sudden, I'm making all kinds of decisions that when I look back on it, when my mind is clear, I think, why did I have to get that big? Did I really need to get that big? And then, you know, then you have to be embarrassed and then you have to apologize And so this is why what we want to understand is that if we use stress correctly, we get resiliency, grit, we get strength, we get confidence. And so you say to yourself, you know, when things get hard, can you stick to it? And ultimately, the impact that stress has on you depends on your perspective and how you are going to see it and perceive it. So there are two types of people, right, when it comes to stress. We have the reactors or the responders. So it's simply a matter of when adverse situations and stress stress happen, not if. We can really reprogram ourselves to respond rather than to react. So if we think about reactors, see, reactors see stress on the horizon. They're always in a fight, flight, or freeze mode. They're thinking that everything is dangerous. They're thinking everything is suspect. So they are going out into the world, into their interactions with people, already locked and loaded. They're already making sure that they are ready for that person who's going to hurt them, disrespect them, steal from them, I don't know, judge them, whatever that may be. So they they already feel worry. But they don't necessarily recognize that that stress impacts all these areas of their life. See, all they want to do is get through that stress without making a fool of themselves. 
without having a negative outcome or making sure that they come out on top. Maybe they don't want to be judged. So there's so much worry about the image of the person and survival that they fail to understand the wisdom that they need to be accessing in order to come out of this feeling good about yourself. Maybe not enjoying the event, but walking away being able to say, you know, I think I I handled that pretty well. That was tough, but I did a pretty good job. So what does a responder look like? Well, they see the same stress on the horizon. However, instead of worrying about it and, and trying to protect themselves and worrying about if they have a good image or not, they use the crisis to make themselves better. So this is where we get this, this word that we've talked about repeatedly on this show. That's humility. I have the humility to be willing to learn. I'm not having to compete with everybody. I'm not having to prove who I am. This means that I'm not in a protective mode. So they use information and they identify maybe where the weaknesses are in their relationships, in their behaviors, in their way of thinking. And this is where you can see that when the pressure really hits, your response shows everything about who you are. You weren't created to compete and lead all the time. See, this is where we want to say to ourselves, this is regular life. Now, if we have reactors and responders, you know, out on the football fields, okay, that might be a little bit more natural, but they're even taught how to not just react. They have to be taking advantage of all the training and all the information that they have and all the practice that they have done so that they can walk off the field feeling good about how they played. So let's think about this. Are you a reactor or are you a responder? Because this becomes very important when we think about this. So there's a book that I'm writing. Well, it's already written, but it's almost ready to be published. So I'm really excited about it, and I think you're going to like it. And this is the book that we've talked about, Wars to Peace. So in Wars to Peace, I talk about DEFCON, the DEFCON principle, as a way to use self-control. You know, imagine if, if the president immediately went to DEFCON 1, right? Just because somebody, like, disrespected us. All of a sudden, we're at war because we got disrespected. So I want you to think about this. Imagine this workplace scenario. You're enjoying coffee break in in the company restaurant, right? So you're at DEFCON 5, which is a state of ease. It's rest. It's relaxing. And you become aware of a person entering, and you notice that they're agitated. So now your senses have been heightened, and you now consciously assess the external world. Now that means you've moved to DEFCON 4. You're kind of ready So instead of just being in a state of relaxation, you're kind of thinking, you know, I wonder what the heck's going on here. But instead of escalating, you commit to relaxing and staying calm because you want to gather information. And you begin to assess your options. See, this is what we call the choice process instead of reacting. Understanding that you have choices enables you to really stay at DEFCON 4 or five. 
which is I'm not going to see everything as dangerous. So this is the choice process. This is choosing to respond versus reacting and just doing whatever you need to do to get through it. So you ask yourself, should I engage in this or should I ignore this? This is choosing to respond rather than react. So you ask yourself, does this have anything to do with me? Or do I just need to be supportive? Or do I want to quickly walk out of the room? Because maybe I think I know where this is going. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we continue to look at this concept of reactors versus responders. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. And we are talking about the issue of reactors versus responders. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I might go out into the world now a little bit more on alert. People are kind of struggling now. And, and maybe the, the culture that we used to really take advantage of, where we just thought everybody was nice and nobody really wanted to fight, and everybody wanted to get along, is not so prevalent in these days. But that doesn't mean that we need to jump in to the fro. Maybe that means that we can enter into a public situation, private situation, a work situation, a parenting situation, and maybe be the one that causes people to want to learn that way, that causes people to say, you know, I like how they handle themselves. I think I think I want to do that. And so this is what we're thinking about, this responders versus reactors. And responding is is a very different process and it requires maturity and it requires decision and commitment and it requires some humility. See, a reactor doesn't have to think. If I react, then you have to deal with me. If I respond, that's me dealing with you. And so this is really important. When you think that reactors, they think after they act. Responders think before they act. So I don't know about you, but I, I've reacted before, and most of the time I've regretted it. <laughs> I mean, you know, no matter how, you know, how much stress we have in our country right now, it's still safe to walk around in. I mean, we, we still go out, we still go to dinner, we still drive our car, we still interact at the grocery store. And so this is where you want to think about a reactor thinks after they act. So they do the immediate knee-jerk reaction. And if they have no humility, they're going to justify what they're doing. And they might even fight to the death over it. A responder says, I think before I act. So I can just relax my body and I can say, hmm, that's an interesting response from that person. Um, I'm not sure I like it. I'm not sure I want to engage in it. And see, if you can remind yourself that your thinking goes at lightning speed. So it's not like you're going to stand there for 20 minutes before you respond to somebody. But reactors always react first and then they have to deal with the fallout. So if they have no humility, they're going to be really destroying relationships. Then they walk away feeling embarrassed, 
if they will admit that to themselves. And then they have to justify their behavior. And this is not healthy for our self-worth and self-esteem. So responders think before they act. Responders practice this really great thing that I've learned that I teach people. I say, you know, if I breathe in, I can't talk. And this has saved me in so many situations that when someone has said something I think is outrageous, inappropriate, mean, nasty, yucky, whatever it is, I just take a breath. And that oxygen helps me go from the right side of my brain, which is the fight, flight, or freeze, to the, f- the front part of my brain, right behind my forehead, is, is the adult part of me. And when I breathe, I get back to that place. And then I decide, how am I going to respond to this? And one of my responses might be nothing. I might just look at them. One of my responses might be, you know, I'm not sure I understand why that was necessary to say. I might respond by saying, can you help me understand why this is bothering you so much? And these are things that we can do that de-escalate the situation. So I don't know if, you know, you may, you're going to know probably my age, but I, I remember the Terminator. The first Terminator that came out, it was with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I'm telling you, I love this movie. So think about this event, because I, I remember this part of the movie where the Terminator hears the knock on the door, and he has four options that pop up in his internal visor. That's like right in his, you know, because he's a machine. And it's A through D. So let's pretend that your brain has this ability. So this is what you might see as the following options. You engage and ask, hey, what's up? Are, are you okay? They engage and you respond, do you need something? They engage and you resist engaging and say, hey, I'm sorry, but I'm on my way to the meeting. I got to go. And D, you refuse engagement and you do nothing. You see the upset, and you get out before they ever even engage with you. So this is what I want you to think about. This can happen in lightning speed. You have all kinds of options. You don't have to immediately do the natural impulse. This is what separates us from animals, is that we have choice. So with every situation, you need to understand that you have options. You may not always like the options, but you choose how to respond. Therefore, you need to recognize what your options are and choose your responses wisely. See, if you remember the Terminator's version, it was a little vulgar, right? I don't recommend it, but he dropped the F-bomb, right? And that's why it's called a bomb, by the way. So this is where you take DEFCON to, to one immediately. This is where this is all-out war, when you start using language like that. So the reason you see these four prompts is so that you understand you have options. See, the essential lesson here is that even if it's DEFCON 4, even if it's 3, 2, it's, it's exploding all around you, you still have choices. Now, you may not have control over someone else's state of being, but you can control yours as well as what to decide what to do. You still have options. See, in that scene of the movie, the Terminator was at his DEFCON 5. He was in his hotel room. He's relaxing. Knock on the door, raised the threat level to 4. He was increasing awareness and intelligence gathering. 
See, his programming popped up and gave him options. So he needed to assess the situation and choose the most appropriate option. Even as a robot, he had choices. So if you focus on what you cannot control, your subconscious will raise the emotional threat level unnecessarily. You might get mad simply because the the other person is mad. That's not helping anyone. So let's think about this. Responding versus reacting. Are you going to practice controlling your body? Are you going to just go wherever it goes? Are you just going to follow the feelings? Are you going to just let the feelings dictate to you how you're going to react or respond? So a response means I'm in control of myself even if the other person isn't. I can walk away. We're adults. We're not little kiddos. So this is important for you to be able to practice this because you are going to like yourself so much more. You're going to feel so much more confident. And you're not going to have to always walk away going, I can't believe I said that. Or walking away saying, why didn't I just say this? Why, didn't, why couldn't I just handle it this way? And this is where the more you practice determining, hey, if this happens, then I'm going to act like this. If that happens, if they say this, I'm going to say this. And you rehearse ahead of time. Most of the people you're going to interact with, you know fairly well. So you kind of know many times what they're going to do. So come up with a response ahead of time. This is you being your own best version. This is you helping you. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about this idea of reactors versus responders. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. And we are talking today about reactors versus responders. And so what I want you to think about is that it is kind of this countdown. So we go from five, four, three, two, one, and one is like deadly. One is nuclear war. So we want to stay at five and four. These are a state of rest. And so this is how you might want to think about, and I do this in my office a lot with people, and it helps to gauge. It helps to have an inner kind of thermometer that I can just say, you know, this person's really getting on my nerves. And I'm starting to really get, you know, irritated, and I want to say something. So maybe I need to excuse myself and go to the restroom and gather myself. Maybe I just need to take a breath and think, you know, what's up with this person? If they're agitating me like this, I wonder what's going on in their life. They must not like their life very much. So instead of focusing on how they're making me quote-unquote feel, I start to just kind of think about, you know, I wonder what's up with them. And that's a great way to set an emotional boundary that says, this is where I end and you begin. And I can just observe you. I can observe how stupid... Your sentences are, I can, I can observe how ridiculous your ideas might be. I can observe how silly your emotions might be. But see, I don't have to say anything out loud. I can just observe the person and still maintain my own composure. 
See, children under the age of six, they have no self-control. Teenagers have very little self-control. They are highly affected people. This is why everybody loves fifth graders, right? So this is what I want you to think about. When you are feeling this, you know, increase of adrenaline, you're getting kind of on alert. You're saying, I'm not liking how this goes. You have to say to yourself, instead of thinking about what I want that person to do, I say to myself, I want to be a responder. So how do I want to act right now? How do I want to handle myself? And if I say to myself, well, what I actually want to do is hit this person, then I say, wow, I better take a time out. Maybe I just need to excuse myself for a minute. Go get a cup of coffee. Just say, hey, I'll be back. Whatever you need to do to manage you. So again, remind yourself, reactors think after they act. And that can put you in a pretty precarious situation because then you're on the defense. You probably have to try to defend why you did what you did. Whereas responders think before they act. So how does this work? Well, if I want to be a responder and I'm going to an event, let's say, let's say I'm just, you know, going to go drive to the grocery store. If I want to be a responder, then I remind myself that there are people out there that probably are not in good moods. And there are people out there that might be agitated. There are people out there that maybe don't care about how they drive. So I've already accepted that. It doesn't mean I agree with it. I've accepted it. So I'm not going to be shocked and surprised if some driver is doing crazy, ridiculous, inappropriate, very, you know, derisive things. I'm going to say, yeah, I, I already prepared myself for drivers like this so that I can manage me. So here's what response options are. And we, we kind of talked a little bit about this. You might say to the person that's really starting to bother you, hey, what's up? You know, are you okay? You seem kind of, I don't know, I'm picking up on you being a little agitated. And they engage and you respond with, well, do you need something? Is there something I can do? If they engage, then you can resist the engagement and say, hey, I'm sorry, on my way to a meeting, I got to go. So you don't have to necessarily engage. If you refuse the engagement and do nothing, you see the upset and get out of there before they engage. There's lots of ways to do this. See, in every situation, we need to understand that you have options. You may not always like your options, but you choose how to respond. Therefore, you need to recognize what your options are and choose your responses wisely. If you remember the Terminator's version was a little vulgar, right? He's dropping the F-bomb. You can recognize that he's not trying to be a relational person. <laughs> he's not trying to have friends, right? So his way of perceiving his reality is quite different than ours. So I want you to recognize how human you are. And that humans do really well when all the humans are getting along. And it's stressful for us when we're not. And it puts us on alert. And so instead of trying to change the group, change the environment, I want you to recognize that inside of you, you are safe. Nobody can get in there. You can let some of their words get in. You can let some of their feelings get in. But you have your own internal world that you can manage. 
And that's the place that needs to be safe. So join me in the last segment as we talk more about this idea of reactors versus responders. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. And we are talking about responders versus reactors. And I'm very excited about just this show because what I'm giving you is a lot of, you know, um, just information about what's in the book that I am writing or have completed, actually. And it will be, I hope, edited. It will finished within a couple of weeks, and then it will be published. So I'm going to keep you posted on that. The book is called Wars to Peace, When Relationships Go Nuclear. And this is a really comprehensive book that will help you with all types of relationships, with yourself, with other people, with children, with family, with people you don't know, strangers, with bosses. And so this is why this idea of recognizing your own emotional DEFCON so that you know where you're at and if you are escalating, what you need to do to de-escalate things. And so I want you to think about this because DEFCON is, is really important that we recognize when we're going nuclear on somebody. So the main thing that we want to consider is that DEFCON, that's kind of DEFCON 3. And this is where we've gone from the normal readiness and we're not really crossing over into a physical fight. But what we're doing is we're recognizing that there's some abuse that may occur. You know, people are hitting below the belt. Maybe they're walking away. They're using really, you know, destructive language. So it's critical that if the conflict is kind of at DEFCON 3, this is the precursor or the gateway to the advent of abuse. So it may start with verbal or emotional abuse. It may escalate to physical, social, or sexual abuse. But it's so important to understand this, as there is a difference between an occasional outburst or conflict and long-term abuse. See, losing control is not necessarily abuse unless it's a, a person's pattern. And if it leads to physical harm, like blood, broken bones, someone's not breathing, deadly force. So it's important to note that the way your brain experiences verbal abuse is very different than when it physically walks it out. So uh, although words can feel deadly, it's easier to learn to speak differently than to act differently. So once you've crossed the line from just really yucky language to actually acting out the emotions physically, this is physical abuse. And it's hard to put that boundary back in place because expressing yourself physically feels so much more gratifying than using your words. And the physical release is natural to all mammals. And it brings an instant gratification versus the long-term benefits of self-management and control to preserve what's of value to you. See, once your brain has that feeling, that kind of explosive release, from, the po from that point forward, it becomes the easiest, most satisfying path of release. So I don't know if you know people like this, but one of the, the you know, habits that they may have or, the, or the, the constructs that they use is that as soon as they start to get uncomfortable, they get aggressive. Maybe they start using language. Maybe they, they start to talk louder, yell louder, throw things. 
So maybe they're not physically abusing you, but it certainly is going to be very scary, very overwhelming, very destabilizing, and very shaming to you. So when we see this, we understand that, you know, there's different types of abuse as well. And so the resulting loss of control brings this incredible, powerful shame attack. And that oftentimes begins the abuse cycle all over again. So I want you to think about there are six types of abuse. I want you to understand them because this is one of the things that when we are practicing reacting versus responding, this helps us to respond well and not just give into abuse. So abuse can be different forms, and it can be characterized by a pattern of behavior used by one person to gain and maintain power and control over another. And when we think of abuse, what first comes to mind is physical, maybe sexual abuse. However, we need to be aware of different types and forms of abuse that have been used that may be more covert, but nonetheless are equally as abusive. And so we first have physical, and we know what physical abuse is. That's hurting and harming as well as restraining someone. It's invading someone's personal space. It's causing someone to feel physically unsafe or actually causing physical injury to any degree. Then we have sexual abuse, and many times the physical abuse is joined by sexual abuse. But the hardest part about sexual abuse, especially if it's happened to you when you were young, is it might not hurt. That's the problem with sexual abuse. Now, if you're raped, that's different. That's a violent sexual assault. But sometimes if there's molestation, if there's some kind of coercion, you're wanting, you don't want to get in a fight with this person, so you're willing to go a little farther than you wanted to. See, sexual abuse is, is a very difficult and very comprehensive type of abuse. And so it also involves rape or any type of forced sexual act. It's, uh, it's increasing sexual tension or sexual coercion or objectifying a person. It's derisive remarks about a person's body or their gender, and judgments or remarks are made. And it's for that person's personal gratification, power, and control. And so this is where we have to recognize that any type, like sexual innuendos, and I don't, you know, maybe I'm sure you have been around people where you're like, why do you have to sexualize every moment? How come everything is seen through a sexual lens? And this is where it's okay for us to use words in this situation and say, you know, hey, hey can you like, you know, I don't know, type, you know, turn it down a little bit? It's like, do you have to make everything sex? And if the person has trouble with that and says, you know, what's your problem? Then I would recommend you leave. And you say, you know, it's probably not going to be a good night for me. So have a great time. I'm out. And that's really important to do because even though they're not touching you, you're feeling the sexual tension. You're feeling the, the gross feeling of, why am I participating in this? I don't want to be participating in this. So we also have verbal and emotional abuse. And this means we use words to demean, demoralize a person's feeling of self-worth uh, or value. And we're we have maybe prejudicial statements. And it's related to a person's identity or their performance. It's invalidating someone's experience, denying the truth through words. 
And so the verbal emotional abuse is also a really sticky one because it's really hard to justify. And people are much better able to talk their way out of it and say that you're just being sensitive. So I want you to think about this. There is this way that God has made us that if we listen to our internal gut that says this is uncomfortable, this isn't feeling right, they're telling me I should be enjoying it or that I'm being too sensitive. And maybe I just need to say, you know, this, this just isn't for me. So maybe I am too sensitive. Maybe. Maybe I am taking it too personally. But if I am, that's good enough for me. So you guys have a great time. I'm going to go, I don't know, whatever, do something different, right? And so this is also works its way into mental and psychological abuse, where this is wearing down a person's emotional well-being. Through isolation, actions, words, lying, gaslighting, you know, questioning their sanity, all these kinds of crazy making things. And so we also have financial abuse. And this is using power and control to deny free access to finances. It's stealing, it's hiding assets, it's destroying assets, it's lying. And then we have cultural and identity. And this is, you know, using racial slurs. This is excluding someone, ostracizing, refusing to support or allow an individual to observe maybe dietary customs or dress or other expressions of their faith. And they end up being having everything delegitimized. And so this idea of culture and cultural and identity abuse, we have now rampant in our in our society. And some of it is upside down and backwards. Some of it is the backwards experience of cultural and identity abuse, where we've gone too far in that direction. So all forms of abuse are rooted in the lack of control or willingness, a very big unwillingness to honor the word no or stop. And one thing we need to understand is what constitutes abuse is the presence of harm. And we need to distinguish between hurt and harm because this, this is paramount when differentiating between an abusive relationship versus a highly dysfunctional relationship. <clears throat> now, every highly dysfunctional relationship doesn't necessarily automatically go to abuse. But it is a slippery sliding slope, I have to say. So when we've really referenced earlier things like the illegal, immoral, unethical, and dangerous behaviors necessitate the activation of the amygdala. And this is because your brain is thinking it may be harmed or is getting harmed. And so, in other words, getting my feelings hurt is not necessarily dangerous to me physically, but my brain doesn't know the difference, nor does my heart. So if, an, if I'm in a relationship with an emotionally careless person who continually feels entitled to hurt my feelings or minimizes them and tells me I'm just too sensitive, this will eventually become true emotional abuse. And the assessment process for determining abuse is always around the word choice. Am I not allowed to make a choice of what I want, what I need, what I'm hoping for, what I'm uh, requiring? That's always at the heart of abuse. Abuse says... Your needs don't matter as much as mine. And you are there for my benefit. So one of the determining factors 
that can indicate covert or overt abuse is the experience the victim may have as to the limiting of choices. Because the hallmark of abuse is to make a victim's world smaller and smaller. And the ability to exercise choice is greatly limited. So I want you to think about this. When you are considering your emotional world and whether or not you are a reactor or a responder, think about firemen. They react, but they are first responders. And first responders are the people that in the midst of a really difficult, painful, scary, ugly situation, they're in control of themselves so that they can actually make decisions that are going to help the people that are in need. So I want you to think about this. Am I a responder or am I a reactor? So am I reacting so poorly or so inappropriately or disorganized that all the people that are responders are now on alert because they need to deal with the fact that I'm reacting all over the place? And see, we're all wanting peace, right? We love peace. We love to relax, to enjoy life. So what you want to think about is that you, one person at a time, changes the world. You can be the person that people say, man, I just love hanging out with that person. They're so easy to be with. You know, I, I, don't, I don't worry. I don't walk away from the situation going, wow, why did they say that? Or maybe they really don't like me. Or feeling all kinds of insecure feelings or just yucky feelings. See, the responsive person manages themselves. The responsive person understands how they affect people. And they choose how they affect other people. And so this is really important for us, that we use this wisdom that God has given us to know that we affect others and we can choose what that effect is. So thank you for joining me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and I will keep you updated on the book Wars to Peace and when it will be released. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from our website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. Be-